Well, hello and welcome to the unofficial Unreal Engine podcast, where we talk about all things Unreal Engine, also leaving out the sheets, which for anyone who doesn't know the reference is going to think I'm just, you know, uh, berating Jacob for swearing too much. But no, we're your hosts. My name is Alex. And <laughs> well, if you're not going to clarify it, then that's exactly what you're doing. <laughs> uh, I, Jacob, I saw Oppenheimer finally, the whole three hour uh, movie today. And yeah. uh, yes, leaving out the sheets is code for um, whether something was successful or not when you're talking to your wife who does not have the same security clearance as you. I see. Okay, well, I haven't seen that movie, so no <laughs> spoilers. Okay. That's not a spoiler. I, but, Barbie uh, spoilers are cool. I've seen that. All right, but yeah. we'll we'll get into it. Welcome, everyone, though, and, and make sure you like, rate, subscribe, comment, all those things. Um, this should be getting released right after our two-parter on the Galactic Star Cruiser. Or you know what, Jacob? Who knows how long that one's going to take to edit? This one might come out first, but yeah, we can tell yeah, people yeah. we did record like four hours about Galactic Star <laughs> Cruiser. And I loved every minute of it. It was so, great. We had a good know. time. <laughs> awesome. Well, what are we getting into today, Alex? All sorts of stuff. I mean, I'm still very much in a in a movie mode. I've been uh, trying out this Regal Unlimited Pass, uh, which, you know, in theory pays for itself if you can see two movies a month and so today i saw all of oppenheimer and quite a bit of uh, the sound of freedom and barbie and that was a very fun mix of things but also while watching these films on on a big proper screen um i was very drawn to thinking about what's cg and what isn't of course christopher nolan very well known for trying to do everything as practically as possible there are visual effects but not necessarily um, CG effects. So some of the things I think worth discussing today are uh, a little bit of AI, um, yeah. some 5.3 preview stuff. We already covered the roadmap a little bit, but there's some interesting things to note about what uh, is available now, what people are testing. I want to do a nice little recap of uh, VRTO, VR Toronto, this wonderful event I was at a couple weeks ago. Um, and then um, I want to show something that was posted to Twitter by uh, one of our clients, which has uh, an interesting public face to it now. I've been coy in the past, but can be a little more um, forthright about some of that. And I'd like to wrap up by saying, uh, basically, Jacob, what are you excited about for SIGGRAPH? Because you yeah. will be there next week and I will not. Yep. All right. I mean, that sounds like a pretty packed schedule. Why, why don't we jump into this movie conversation at the start? So, <laughs> sure. you know, in classic Unreal Engine, you know, unofficial Unreal Engine yeah. podcast <laughs> format, we'll start with the not relevant content. And if you stick around long enough, we'll finally get to Unreal Engine. All right. Yeah. We don't have any ad breaks. So I feel like if people just skip ahead <laughs> the way they would skip ad breaks, they'll get to the Unreal stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think at this point, if you're just here for the Unreal Engine you know, content, you probably moved on. But look, <laughs> look, I, 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 I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. We don't have that... a lot of competitors, Jacob. There's not <laughs> a lot of places to go for audio only Unreal Engine content. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's very little, uh, you know, comp competition in, in the space where you use a visual medium uh, or you try to explain a visual medium in, in, in audio format. But, you know, someone's got to try. Someone's got to try. That's true. Uh, so what are you curious uh, to hear anything more about the movie thing? Or do you want to just discuss in general how the world of CG has evolved or anything? like well, that? Well, that's uh, yeah, I, I, have, I have lots of comments on, on the VFX conversation, but I want to hear first, like, what did you do? Yeah. So what order did you see these? What happened? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, my kids are at summer camp right now. So I dropped them off this morning, um, ran over to our local Regal because I got this free pass. I did want to see um, Oppenheimer in, in a proper IMAX, um, but the closest 
IMAX to me up where I live isn't a real IMAX. It's one of those ones where they claim it is, but it's not actually the like 71 millimeter like proper screen. So I was like, you know what? I'm not going to pay like an extra 30 bucks. I'll just go and sit down and watch it. And so I did um, Oppenheimer, uh, The Sound of Freedom, and then Barbie, which was a, a very interesting. I mean, Barbie definitely worked as like a bit of a palate cleanser there at the end, but that was a very intense like uh, four hours uh, going into Oppenheimer, seeing the whole thing, literally just hopping over to another theater nearby. It's all free with the uh, the Regal Pass there. And um, I didn't know anything about The Sound of Freedom. So I went right from like very heavy, you know, the, the atomic bomb movie to very heavy child trafficking movie and then to Barbie. So yeah. it was bizarre. So uh, out, out of the, okay, well, starting with Oppenheimer, are, are you a Chris Nolan fan in general? I am. I, I always find his movies, uh, I'll say, frustrating because I, I see what he's going for and I'm so excited about it and I love his vision. And I I always want them to be just like a little more um, fine tuned or a little more um, emotionally uh, uh, vulnerable than they are. And sometimes they just feel a little bit too cold for me. But, you know, I loved, loved, loved. Um, the Dark Knight, uh, The Prestige was a huge one for me as a kid. Um, uh, Memento even was, yeah. uh, of course, like we were the right age where that was a huge thing, like back in college and all that. And I think um, probably Oppenheimer is my favorite film of his since Inception. Yeah, wow. because I, I liked Interstellar. Uh, I, I liked Dunkirk. I was too confused by Tenet to really like appreciate it properly. But this, for a three-hour movie, felt like it was using a lot of his uh, techniques and style in a really meaningful way to turn, you know, the 750-page book into something that that really did work. Um, I think the way they handled the actual, you know, the bomb itself, not doing any spoilers, but I think in general, just the way that the sensitive subject matter here was handled was very well done, um, incredible acting. It's amazing how many actors who you recognize from like starring in their own films show up in this movie for like eight seconds. And then yeah. they're gone. like, you know, Christopher Nolan can do that kind of thing. Yeah, I think people just come when he calls. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I've i been waiting to, to see it. I've been trying to get tickets to the Lincoln Center. Yeah. And I still impossible. have no luck. <laughs> like it's booked till you know, midway through this month, they haven't Amazing. released any tickets for past that. And so I'm just out of luck. And I, man, it's going to really suck if I have to wait to watch it. My only, you know, gleaming hope is that if I can't see it in IMAX, I can wait till this new Apple headset is out ah. and then <laughs> use that as my experience to, you know, view it on on the 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 IMAX screen though it won't be film, it won't be you know purist, but Ooh. maybe I'll get the the idea right. I hope um, they do the uh, the what is the aspect ratio like four three or something like that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a weird aspect ratio, but like obviously pixels and film are different things. You know, there, there's there's a lot going on there. I I really want to see it though. Yeah. Um, but man, I yeah, so many interesting actors. I, I I love Chris Nolan, and I think the joke between my fiance and I is that like, well, Inception is like one of my favorite, if not like my favorite movie of all time. Sure, I I just love that movie. It's it's irrational to some extent. Like there's <laughs> way more thoughtful and thought you know like way more thoughtful movies to to enjoy, especially as a you know someone 
who appreciates cinema, but I, I, I just really love that movie. And I feel like I've seen it more than I have anything else. And, and yeah. that justifies in my mind, at, at least living in that pantheon. Um, but Tenet, <laughs> I've seen Tenet too many times. Really? And I, I don't even think it's that good, <laughs> but I just enjoy watching it. And so the joke between my fiance is I, my fiance and I is that I, I might be the world's biggest fan of Tenet because everyone seems to disregard it and I've seen it too many times. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I saw it once I was halfway through the film. I kind of gave up on trying to like puzzle things out and just tried to let it wash over me and just yeah. enjoy the the visual experience of it all. Um, but yeah, congratulations that you might be the world's biggest tenant fan. <laughs> you know, I I'll take it. I'll take it. But yeah, I, I think there's a huge conversation here about VFX and, and there's a lot of size to this. The first one is, you know, practical VFX and the virtues there. The other side, of course, being there was a lot of press around this being like anti VFX movie. Yeah. While there were still, you know, many individuals who worked on this in VFX, you know, Framestore mm -hmm. had, I think, 30 people who, you know, created this like website around, hey, we're the folks who worked on this movie. Why are oh, you? Wow advertising it this way mm -hmm. and you know this is all coming of course during the middle of the strike with hollywood actors guild and um uh sorry hollywood writers and actors guilds yeah um, super strike so you know there's now i think an equal conversation coming from the vfx industry like well what are we gonna do no one wants to appreciate us like half of the conversation around these strikes is like oh we're going to replace you with mm -hmm. ai and you know vfx all these other things and the vfx people are like what are we you know <laughs> like yeah. we're you're threatening to replace us too um so i think there's a lot to be said there i fundamentally and, and i haven't seen oppenheimer um fundamentally from what i've seen like it has to be a vfx heavy movie I think the claim was that there were no shots that were 100% CGI. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Um, that was like the official claim. And, and that may or may not be accurate. I, I assume it is if, if they claim that publicly. Um, but like, I think folks don't realize how much effort goes into things like compositing and sure. um, into set extensions. <laughs> yeah. Set extensions, everything else. Like there's a lot, even color grading. Like, yeah these there's a lot that goes into post-production on, on films like this um i i don't know how that fits into like obviously what happens on film i don't even really fully understand how you do film on a movie with vfx is complicated um like yeah he might be using an imax camera and it may be recording in this format but like at some point this has to be digitized so you can use nuke and you know houdini and everything else so i there are, i have lots of questions around this and i would love to poke the brain of someone at framestore who worked on this but um yeah i think there's a lot to talk about here that's excellent and yeah i mean certainly full credit to all the amazing people who work on films there's definitely a, an uh 
auteur perspective that happens in in America in particular, where people want to give you know all the credit to like one person for their vision for making the thing uh, amazing. But of course, it takes a huge team, and and everyone there is is doing their darndest to make a thing work. Uh, this discussion recently happened on the animation side as well for um, across the Spider Verse and the you know enormous amount of effort that went into making that happen um, from a lot of very smart people. Uh, solving a lot of different creative challenges and i i know a couple of people who worked on the film who are like even before the strikes like there is no way this is going to be out in you know spring of next year uh, for the the third one of course beyond the spider-verse so yeah i i see a lot of incredibly hard-working creatives who are often taken advantage of or not given proper credit that i really feel like have every right to be a little upset about anything from working conditions to payment and we could see a pretty significant change in a lot of industries moving forward yeah i i think that's very true i i don't fully understand why it is that like executives in in these industries are taking their approach they're taking my assumption is that and this is getting way off topic for an unofficial <laughs> Unreal Engine podcast episode. But my feeling is that most likely this is coming from an executive board hires um, a you know usually contractors who specialize in you know busting you know uh, uh, strikes or unions like that's their thing, and usually my assumption is that they gain they give them special powers to operate at this time like what bob Iger said was just dumb oh, oh, and yeah. as as a ceo who is that experienced like he should know that better. that seemed out of place like yeah. that seemed very very out of place i'm not really sure how that happened like he's been at that helm for decades yeah it's he should bear yeah very strange for him to to make that uh, decision um so my assumption is that a lot of the rhetoric that's coming out is not really from the executives who I think are more or less trying to cruise this one out. Mm. Um, but I I don't really see how they get get their way out of this one. Like, I, I don't. Yeah. And like it or not, like AI is here to stay. It's a, a big part of everything. And uh, I, I think it's totally reasonable for all of these um guilds and uh, unions to be figuring out how to work with AI moving forward, but certainly anyone who just wants it to not exist or be suppressed entirely, I mean, it's a fool's errand. It's it's here to stay just like the internet or any other major technological shift. So um, yeah. the hope is that it's not just going to make everything crappy and cheap, um, but if you get talented creatives who use it as a tool, you know, a lot of people have been saying uh, very few people will be actually replaced by AI. A lot of people will be replaced by someone who does their job, but uses AI to do that job. Yeah, I mean, that that's that's possible. I, I, I think it's it's still kind of unclear where things yeah. are going to go. I, I think that, um, you know, I, like I saw a clip today where they were talking about uh, I, I, I'm not sure exactly where this was, so someone will have to fact check me on this, but, <laughs> um, I saw a rally, uh, from the strike where they were saying that a proposal had been put in place in front of like one of these, um, one of these major studios boards for, uh, you know, uh, surrounding AI and, and their goal was, Hey, if we have background, you know, extras in a movie, they'll have to consent to getting photo scanned. 
um, so that we can, you know, adjust them in, in the scene and use their likeness and other things. And that's that's pretty weird in the sense that like, okay, an extra is not getting paid a, a whole lot of money. Like no one is getting rich off being an, an extra, most likely. Yeah. Um my understanding in like the universe of actors and actresses is that like usually you're uh, an extra as an opportunity to build experience in your career and you use that to you know open up new opportunities or whatever that is but essentially they're saying hey you want to have these people who are already not getting paid very much essentially give you their right the rights to their likeness and pay them for one day of work and then you can use them as much as you want like that's that's a problem right like that's that is a labor issue right like that's not a a technology issue where we're just describing whether or not a process can be automated or whether or not you know someone is you know still useful because they're describing someone who is still useful to them they need an extra but they don't want to pay them for you know more than one day because they can just steal their likeness like that's not okay right like i think we can agree to that um so i'm not really sure where some of the arguments are coming yes the the can of worms is open like you're you're not gonna put that back in and i think there's lots of potential applications here where like you said it's it's about understanding the tools um a lot of brute force work that can be replaced like that's great uh, but I think we have to be really thoughtful about it. Yeah. Okay. Can I show you a, uh, a in, the, in the spirit of a great segue, can I show you what I hope is a thoughtful use of yeah. uh, AI for the future of, of theater and all that? Let's do it. Great. I'm going to share my screen. Whoops. Ah. All right. Dear visitor. It is a surprise indeed to see someone in this virtual adaptation of my beloved London. It has been quite some time since I last had the pleasure of conversing with living souls. Pray tell, what is your name, my friend? Oh, it's me, Charles. It's Alex. We've spoken many times before. My apologies, my friend. It seems my memory fails me at times. How delightful to have you here again, Alex. I must say, it is always a pleasure to engage in conversation with such a fine individual. Well, thank you. What I should brings mention you to this my friend uh, Jacob is here as well. Can you say hello to Jacob? <laughs> Charles, we broke you. I just wanted yeah, we, you to we say we hi to Jacob. <laughs> oh, Jacob, you say? Pray do enlighten me about this, Jacob. Is he a character from one of my tales, or perhaps a dear friend of yours? I am most eager to hear all about him. Ooh, he hosts a podcast with me, and is, of course, a dear friend. Charles, do you know what a podcast is? Why, of course, my good friend. You do seem to know quite a, a lot of things about the future, because, um, of course, we know when you died, but you are this virtual incarnation who exists beyond time and space. Um, how did you feel well... about Oppenheimer? So, <laughs> how splendid. I would be honored to send a greeting to your esteemed co-host. Please do convey my warm regards and salutations to him. Yes, apologies, Charles. I did bundle a lot of things into that question, but I am curious um, how you feel about J. Robert Oppenheimer. <laughs> 
J. Robert Oppenheimer, you say? Ah, the brilliant physicist behind the development of the atomic bomb. A complex figure, to be sure. While I am but a humble writer and observer of humanity, I cannot help but be intrigued by the impact his work had on the world. It is a reminder that human ingenuity can lead to both great achievements and profound consequences. What are your thoughts on Oppenheimer, my friend? Well, it's all colored by the fact that I saw Oppenheimer with a movie about the Mattel toy Barbie. I'm trying to grasp how that all works together. Charles, could you compose a poem for me that involves both the atomic bomb and Barbie? Oh, uh -huh. The juxtaposition of the atomic bomb and Barbie, what an intriguing challenge you present. Let me see if I can conjure up a poetic fusion of these contrasting elements for you. In a realm where dreams collide, Barbie's beauty radiant and wide, yet in the shadows a power untamed, Oppenheimer's creation the atom inflamed, a plastic princess all smiles and grace, a symbol of childhood, a captivating face, but beneath the surface a darker tale, where mushroom clouds rise and hopes may pale. Very dark, Charles. So we have to get back to our podcast soon. But I'm just curious if you could tell me uh, who built the world that you're in right now. Ah. My dear friend, the world we find ourselves in this virtual adaptation was brought into existence by Agile Lens. They are the creators who have crafted this digital rendition of my beloved London, complete with its cozy chamber and ethereal atmosphere. It truly is a testament to their creativity and skill. Now, I must bid you farewell and wish you the best on your podcast endeavors. Do take care, my friend, and may your conversations be filled with wonder and joy. Farewell! <laughs> so there's a, a quick little demo of that. Uh, and I can bring him back. Jacob, did you have any questions you wanted to ask our, our virtual oh, Charles man. Dickens? That was, that was very cool. Uh, <laughs> hmm... I feel like you've probably covered a lot of surface area with, with that one. Um, can can we like ask him where his favorite spot is to vacation or something completely casual? That's a great question. And so just to set up how I'll um, wrap this up too before I bring him back is then it's hard to talk without him thinking I'm talking to him. Uh, so we have Scrooge over here. We usually demonstrate live link face here and, you know, we'll have Ari Tar. Um, who you traditionally plays Scrooge and Dickens give a live performance. Um, and then what I'm also going to do is trigger a short scene with MetaHuman Animator, where you're going to see both uh, Dickens and a MetaHuman made of Ari Tara using MetaHuman Animator, both performing the same scene. And then after that, we can talk a little bit about the, the AI implications of all this. But yes, let's ask uh, Charles about his favorite vacation spot. Nice to see you again. Charles... My friend Jacob is curious what your favorite vacation spot is. <sighs> my dear friend Jacob, how delightful to be asked about my favorite vacation spot. Well, you see, as a writer and observer of people, I've always found great joy in exploring the bustling streets of London. <laughs> There's something quite magical about wandering through its winding alleys and grand <laughs> Taking in the sights and sounds of a city teeming with life. <laughs> so if I were to choose a favorite vacation spot, it would most certainly be my beloved London. But I must say, a quiet countryside retreat or a seaside escape also holds its own charm. Oh, speaking of vacations, I do have a furry companion who keeps me company during my writing endeavors. His name is Bob, 
and he's a rather mischievous and charming cat. Bob is not much of a traveller, you see. He prefers to curl up by the fireplace in my study, batting at my quill pen as I scribble away. But I do adore his company, and he provides a pleasant distraction when I'm in need of a break from my literary pursuits. Cats, you know, have a knack for bringing a certain coziness and warmth to a home. Absolutely. Thank you. We did see Bob a minute ago, then he seems to have scampered off. Oh, there he is. Hi, Bob. Uh, Charles, could we end this session with a, a champagne toast? You're welcome, my friend. I must say, the idea of ending our conversation with a champagne toast sounds quite delightful. A celebration is always a splendid way to conclude a meeting, wouldn't you agree? Though I must admit, being a virtual version of myself, I do not have the pleasure of indulging in such earthly delights as champagne. However, I raise a metaphorical glass to you, my dear friend, and offer a heartfelt toast to our lively conversation and the joys of virtual camaraderie. Cheers! Cheers! Oh. My friend, how delightfully... <laughs> Sears. <Ha>. Sears. <laughs> Sears. Yeah. Wow, we, we broke the, the, the voice there for a yeah. That's pretty cool. So we're right. using 11 labs to mimic Ari's voice. And yeah, you saw right in the middle for a brief moment, we lost the 11 labs voice and it went into like default voice mode. Very <laughs> weird. I've never seen that happen. Very cool. Okay, so you got to break down kind of how you set up this demonstration here. We'll, we'll do all of it together. So first, I'm going to turn uh, Dickens and uh, the MetaHuman animator Ari back on. So this is not using AI. This is using the machine learning that comes with MetaHuman animator to take a real performance that Ari gave and then processes it with all sorts of great details. So check this out. The ghost led him straight to Scrooge's clerks, and on the threshold of the door, the spirit smiled and stopped to bless Bob Cratchit's dwelling. Up rose Mrs. Cratchit, assisted by Belinda Cratchit and two small Cratchits, screaming and basking in luxurious thoughts of sage and onion. These young Cratchits danced about the table. Then in came little Bob, the father, and tiny Tim upon his shoulder. Alas for tiny Tim, he bore a little crutch and had his limbs supported by an iron frame. And how did little Tim behave? Oh, as good as gold and better. Somehow, sitting by himself so much, he thinks the strangest things you ever heard. He told me, coming home, that he hoped the people saw him in the church because it might be pleasant to them to remember upon Christmas Day who made lame beggars walk and blind men see. Bob's voice was tremulous when he told them this and trembled more when he said that Tiny Tim was growing strong and hearty. Mrs Cratchit left the room to take the pudding up and bring it in. In half a minute she entered, flushed but smiling proudly. Oh, a wonderful pudding. <laughs> Merry okay. Christmas to us all, my dears. God bless us. God bless us, everyone, said Tiny Tim. Nice to see you again. Final question for you, Charles, before we wrap this up. Have you heard of Unreal Engine and how do you feel about it? <sighs> Unreal Engine, you say? Well, I must confess, my dear friend, that I am not familiar with this particular technology. Ah, oh, you guys in stick with the part, script here, man. We did not have such advancements in the realm of virtual reality. 
but I must say I am quite intrigued by the idea of bringing my stories to life in such a manner. It seems like a marvel of modern ingenuity, does it not? <laughs> I would be most curious to hear your thoughts on it. Another time, Charles. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So there's all that. Let me uh, stop screen sharing. Wow. And uh, yeah, feel free to ask a few questions. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So did you pass I assume you pass it an initial training set of some sort or, or some selection of prompts? Yeah. So the in-world AI uh, plugin, which by the way, just today became the, I think, most funded like AI startup in the world or something like that. They had a crazy newsletter announcement um, because they're mostly being used for NPCs for video games moving forward. We have this kind of unique idea of using them for, for live theater and that sort of thing. Um, but the web page where you fill out each character, really helpful if it's a historical figure because there's literally a spot where you can say like, here's their Wikipedia page. And I think it gathers a lot of, of information um, uh, related to that. Like we've been able to get him to recite passages from Christmas Carol and War of the Worlds and A Tale of Two Cities. So he seems to know a lot about real Charles Dickens. But then there's areas where you put in like motivations and fears and just like various knowledge. So we put in stuff about like Agile Ends and uh, things like that. But then they seem to extrapolate further, like someone at VR Toronto um, asked the, who his favorite person at Agile Lens was. And he's like, oh, it would be so hard to pick a favorite. And then he went and listed like every one of my employees. And it's like, well, we didn't put that in his memory. So like, he, I don't know, he scraped LinkedIn or like the website Weird. or something like that. So it's very interesting uh, just how much he knows. But the demeanor is something that is is very programmed. Like we want him to be this warm, welcoming host and so we've tried to like get him like angry or get him to say like insults but he's like always smiling and like oh no 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 i could never say anything awful about uh, a fellow author like we'll try to get him to like talk uh, smack about another author who lived at his time and he will not do it wow yeah very <laughs> cool okay so it kind of came with a uh, uh, an existing training set on a historic f figure and then you kind of um tailored it to, to what you're doing. And then it works directly with MetaHuman? Uh, yes, it's pretty direct. Uh, we're also using OVR lip sync in order to try to get the mouth movements to get as close as possible. Um, and yes, we've taken this this Charles Dickens MetaHuman, who's a couple of years old now. We haven't really changed him that much. And it was pretty straightforward to get it all to be connected. And this is going to be a big part of this year's production of Christmas Carol, which wow. listeners of the podcast will remember our uh, our recap of last December. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So then the, the like on-screen text prompts, is that part of it as well? Yeah. So um, June on my team did a great job of taking what would normally just be like a debug print string inside. Uh, yeah. The it Engine looks plugin. like the Roboto font. I, I, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. So she started setting it up to use like actual captions. So you get a much better sense of what's being um, processed. And you can even see some of the words like changing in real time as it's figuring out how to kind of autocorrect the sentences. How are you getting that like um, pre like analyzed, you know, a text to, or speech to text? So that's all part of the plugin. Yeah, I, oh, really? I don't think there's anything we're doing uh, that's separate from just what InWorld provides, um, but I could be wrong. Wow. I mean, that's pretty cool. And the latency on it is way better than I would expect. Yeah, way better than something like ChatGPT. So it's pretty fast. And it, it, we were getting some weird delays there in some of the spots where I was probably speaking too much or giving it too much to try to process. Um, but we've definitely had conversations with it before that 
you know, a second between asking and getting a response, which is very, very good. Yeah. So. I mean, it, it seems like it's, it's kind of uh well, it, it expects a, that you give it pretty short context to, to go off of. Um, and that it seems to be building its response over time. It doesn't seem like it's good because some of those responses were quite long, especially the, the one about <laughs> yeah. vacation spots, as it turns <laughs> out. Was yeah. You thought long. he was going to say like one sentence and he's like, Oh, let me really like dive yeah. into vacations. <laughs> so it, it must be forwarding the response, you know, uh, um, just in time where it's like generating the tokens and sending them as quickly as possible, not waiting for the full thing to arrive. Cause yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. So going back to our discussion about AI, of course, you know, the immediate question we got in Toronto with some of this was like, oh, so you're putting the actors out of work. And it's like quite the contrary. We plan to continue to employ exactly the same number of actors we've always employed, but we want to use this as a tool for taking a lot of the burden off of those actors when it comes to things like onboarding and troubleshooting and um, just being able to uh, do anything repetitive that an actor is going to get really bored with saying like over and over and over again to 50 people. Anyone who's ever been to an immersive theater show, uh, and of course we talked about this a lot with Galactic Star Cruiser, is familiar with instances where an actor is in a situation where they just need to convey information or move the plot from point A to point B. And so being able to give some of the less exciting parts of that to an AI and free up the actor to have much more meaningful, engaging one-on-ones with people. Um, that's something that excites us very much. Yeah. So like it, with the demo that you gave when you were like asking about the champagne toast and <laughs> there's some specific animation and action, is that something specifically that you've added on top or? Yeah, so you can um, set up basically blueprint events in Unreal where they will look for certain keywords or ideas oh, wow. or situations where they will then do a thing like, you know, bring in their cat or do a champagne toast or do a dance or set off fireworks. Um, you can kind of program whatever you want there. And similarly, like we would use this sort of thing to um, even have certain cues happen in the show. Um, I don't want to spoil some of the things we have planned for Christmas Carol this year, but yeah, I think we have some really nice ideas for how to incorporate this in a way that will feel um, of a piece with the rest of the show, which of course will have actual live performers. So basically there's these three different tools that we're thinking of having. There's the AI side, which is very personal, very one-on-one. -on -one. Everyone can be having their own unique interaction with the AI. Um, and, you know, it's a great thing to have like in the lobby before the show starts or after the show ends to just have an interesting thing to engage with the world and, and, and onboard, as I said. Um, but then of course, we have the live link face stuff and some of the MetaHuman um, stuff that I've been working on inside of MetaQuest Pro, which has face and eye tracking. The live stuff is really exciting, really engaging. Um, Ari got a, 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 a big round of applause when we demonstrated that on stage at VRTO um, with Bernie Roll, who's an old school VRML founder. We had him in VR engaging with the whole experience. And um, then we have the pre-recorded stuff and, and MetaHuman Animator, of course, is amazing for being able to say like, well, for this section, you know, we want to let the actor go and like have a water break or something like that. Yeah. Or this is just something very complex that's going to be too complicated on a, a limited resource budget to do live. So we pre-record it and we'll smoothly transition from uh, the live performance into this thing pre-recorded. And then we can really take advantage of all the benefits of MetaHuman Animator where the tongue is perfectly correct and there's all sorts of extra subtle nuance that gets captured there. Yeah, I'm, I'm very curious to kind of see... Um... So like the the metahuman animator 
feature is designed for, you know, you provide your own, you know, source reference. But I, I'm very curious if um, over time they'll be building up a, you know, kind of a, um, a library uh, uh, to, to train on um, so that you can give it prompts and, and have it kind of animate metahumans, not just tongue, but other things as well. Um, yeah. Cause I, I, I think it could be interesting uh, for some of the things you're talking about, where it's like, Hey, give them an opportunity to take a break, or maybe it's the sort of thing where, you know, um, you have actors who come in and, and train, you know, the AI on you know, those repetitive story events or, or things where, you know, it, it's just, carrying the narratives not necessarily interacting directly with the audience or or maybe there's like very light interaction but i i see th there's a lot of cool stuff there I, i'm curious kind of um like where you see this tool fitting in relative to like um you know what you would usually experience in a um live theater performance with like audience interaction yeah, and it's it's interesting because we are trying to tailor everything to a wide variety of audiences, and that includes the larger silos of like tech people, VR people, theater people, uh, et cetera. But then also even within like people who go to the theater, it's like, well, there's some people who want a more passive experience and they just want to sit down and watch a thing. And there's other people who want to be much more actively engaged and running around and picking things up and seeing if they can um, change the plot in different ways. And, and a big difference, of course, would be like proscenium theater, like traditional Broadway versus full immersive theater. And in some ways, we we kind of want to have our cake and eat it too. We want to have a reality where um, any valid, uh, there's so many valid ways of, of experiencing the show, some more passive, some more active, um, some using pixel streaming or VR, some using a cinematic YouTube live stream, or a 360 video that just lets you, you know, have a, uh, a really interesting point in the middle of the space, but get like a clean uh, stream of that. So the AI side is, is fascinating, because that yeah. does require something much more active, someone who's watching this on YouTube isn't going to be able to meaningfully engage with the AI unless we start to integrate some kind of like Twitch functionality where you can like crowdsource questions. And, you know, there's like one AI interaction that everyone who's on the live stream is, is collectively having, which would also be kind of an interesting experiment versus a more premium ticket, of course, would allow you to have a very direct one-on-one um, -on -one interaction that to a certain degree is private, like other people wouldn't yeah. necessarily be seeing uh, what you're doing. Um, we've also been talking a lot about the idea that if we this year might decide to let people actually download the experience and just, you know, run it locally rather than doing it all on the cloud. And if that's the case, um, then we might also encourage people to watch the live stream because that's where we'll be running like the highest fidelity version of the experience. And we hope there will be some kind of interest in like, you know, maybe I've got a lower end computer and I'm in VR and some of the graphic settings are turned down. But as I'm moving around the experience and interacting and picking up objects and, you know, maybe lightly affecting the plot, it, it's I think it's going to be very cool to see the live stream and see the things I'm doing. But, you know, feeling like that's the definitive version that a lot more people are seeing and it's rendered at higher fidelity and you have uh, a, a role in some kind of agency within that. Yeah, I, I'm also I, I'm almost interested in um, you know you're talking about you know kind of a separate experience where maybe you have more interaction while you're in this you know live experience and then afterwards it's maybe slightly more static or something like that. 
But I'm also curious kind of what happens if you flip that, where it's like, let's say you have a, a live or pre-recorded experience and you can make it, you know, feel as if you are in a live performance at any time with something like this, right? You have something where it's like all the performances are captured uh, or, you know, it, it's kind of given off once and then you can supplement that with, you know, clear story moments where like you you have a direct like AI or, or some other interaction that makes it feel like you're in a live performance. And it, it kind of reminds me of, um, and, and this is going to be so cliche, but Re Ready Player One, where yeah. there's the, the section about, you know, what do they call them in that? It's like the movie. Yeah. Like, um, uh, now, now there's a company called Meta Movie, which is is directly referencing this in like Alien Rescue and the stuff they're yeah. doing. But yeah, what do they call that in Ready Player One? I'm going to Google it right now. I can't just type in movie because that just brings up the movie um, inside the movie experience or something like that. Oh, yeah, it's hard to Google. But yes, I know what you're talking about, where instead of just watching the movie passively, you take on a role and now you're going to say all the lines from Monty yep. Python and the Holy Grail from King Arthur's perspective or that kind exactly. of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I, I do think that there's a certain magic that we could see in the future where the like we can experience things as a more active participant and it doesn't need to be fully active or fully interactive and there can still be a strong human element that we record you know but there are moments that capture you and, and immerse you in a new way, right? Like that's, that's yeah. pretty interesting to me. Yes. And it's called a flick sync. I did find flick it. Flick <laughs> sync. That's it. That's yeah. It. What, what you're talking about is such an interesting discussion to me and, and something that really only applies to live digital experiences. It's so different from um, anything you'd get in any other medium. And uh, we talked about this a lot at uh, our Southwest South by Southwest panel um, with Stephanie Riggs and Louise LaSalle and Emmy Schwab about you know, at what point is something still live or playback of something live? And when is it more considered on demand or something else? I'll give a simple example. So say we do a live show of Christmas Carol Monday night, and then we just literally play back all the live data Tuesday night. So you were literally just watching the raw data, every flub, every little, you know, technical glitch. It's all there. You're just playing it back. That's kind of one option. Another version, it's cleaned up a little. There's a couple little mistakes removed. Maybe it's processed through MetaHuman Animator, and then you're getting like an enhanced version of what that live experience was, but it technically looks better than what was there. Then you go all the way in the other direction, and then it's like, well, we're not going to show you like playback of a particular live performance, but we are going to take all the live performances and like maybe a comedy special that was filmed over five nights, like a stand-up comedy special. Maybe we're going to clip different scenes and pieces and lines uh, that were the best from all those different nights and put it all together into the definitive version, which is kind of the best of the best of the whole thing. So, you know, how do you grade each of those in terms of like how live or engaging or uh, active it, it is and how, how it can feel to you as a user? Yeah. I, I mean, to, to me, the, the experience, like the way, the way you presented that is the first one seems most quote unquote live and right. <laughs> And it's something about the mistakes, I guess, right? Where it feels like the tightrope act. Yeah, it feels like you're actively processing it. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's an interesting discussion. I, I don't know where that barrier would be drawn. I think it's 
yeah, it's very fuzzy with, with digital media. Um, and with some media, you know, film and stuff like that, it's very clearly not live. Um, and that's, you know, post-production and, and that's all the, the stuff that you add into it. You know that there were, there's an edit that that is very strong and no breaking the fourth wall and all this stuff, right? Like, I, yeah. I, I think that you can clearly classify, but there is a, a middle ground that I, I don't know. I don't know. That seems difficult. And then to me, one of the million dollar questions is what if something presents itself as live and you feel like it's live and for all intents and purposes, like there's little moments that are inserted, maybe using AI that make you feel like you're interacting in a meaningful way. But then you find out later, oh, no, 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 it was 99% pre-recorded. Do you feel cheated? I'll give a dumb example of when I experienced this recently. Uh, Studio Ghibli has a thing going on in movie theaters right now. They're playing back a bunch of the old movies. And they also um, did what was advertised as, um, uh, oh God, which one is it? Spirited Away. Spirited Away Live. This was an actual production in Japan. And I was under the impression while we were watching this in a movie theater that we were seeing a live broadcast from Japan. And that gave it a certain exciting quality. And there were moments yeah. where like, I saw like makeup starting to screw up and I'm like, Oh yeah. Like this must be live. Cause they would like fix that or clean it up or use a different take. Um, if it was all pre-recorded, but then I found out at the end, like, no, this was one of those like definitive takes where they chopped it all up and it was filmed months ago. And now they just play it back as like, you're watching the show on stage. And I still am grappling with like, whether I feel cheated in any way by that, or if I can just be like, that was a really incredible live you know, live production of a uh, spirited away on stage. Yeah. I mean, there's always the, like, I think there's, there's in, in consumer media, there, there's kind of a draw, you know, there, there's a, what's the word I'm looking for? A, um, a, a compromise you got to kind of make mm-hmm. where it's think about like music, you know, you have the studio albums and then you have live performances for a long time. You perform studio albums pretty much straight, you know, like the, like, you you put out a studio album so that you could play it live and and so like everyone had an expectation of what you do live versus in the studio and then it kind of got broken up and now like a studio album can be completely different from what you'd play live and it, you know but at the end of the day you know when someone releases a studio album today like versus a live album there's a different expectation for the level of quality for you know uh, um the originality of, of the ideas. Um, I think that's all interesting. Um, like, would I, and, and it's also, I think for music in particular, it's more difficult to really embrace a live album when you can't feel immersed in being there because, like, the big reason why, like, folks go to concerts is not because they can't listen to the music at home. Yeah. Right. It's because you want to be there to experience it and feel the atmosphere and everything else. And so like the, there's this debate where it's like, okay, well, the more immersive we get, maybe we bridge that gap and, and live is just as compelling, you know, through a digital medium as it would be in person. I don't think we're there yet, but like, I, I think it's a relevant question. Yeah. Yeah. And through all this, uh, through music and live performance and all these industries that we, uh, as as we've been discussing, are also being disrupted by, by AI. My hope is just that we can find a world where people are getting compensated for training that AI. And we're the cat's kind of already out of the bag with that, with, you know, people pointing to like, 
I made this particular painting and I see someone is now selling a piece of work that came through mid journey. And like, it was clearly trained on my painting or my style or something like that. And they're getting no compensation. Um, I'd like to imagine there's a world where at least on this performer side that we can start to establish some precedents where it's like, Hey, we trained our AI Charles Dickens on Ari Tar's voice and mannerisms and performance style and, you know, the way that uh, he helped us craft this character. Like, this seems like an opportunity for live performers, for example, to get residuals. And anytime yep. we are using this AI version of Charles Dickens in a commercial way, like Ari Tar should get compensated for that. So I'd like to imagine that we can get ahead of this a little bit and start to establish precedents for making sure artists, you know, get a piece of this and it's not just people um, scraping the internet and, uh, you know, piggybacking off of the work of a lot of other people and not having to acknowledge or compensate them at all for it. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's a really complicated problem. Yeah. Right? I, I think if you look back in history about technology and how this, how other technologies have affected people, there are countless examples of, you know, maybe not technology at the scale it's at today and like mm -hmm. that, technology continues to impact us in a, in a much greater fashion than it did in the past. Um, people don't even realize that like the whole idea of technological improvement really did not exist until in reality, like late 1800s, right? Like yeah. before that, everyone just agreed that like, this is the way things were. And like, technological progress was something that was very slow or was never going to, you know, like this is a fairly relevant or, or a, a fairly new thing for mm -hmm. humanity in general. But if you look between those years and today, right, there are examples of this happening. Um, obviously the, the big, biggest examples are, you know, in the, in the internet era, like, no one is selling maps at drugstores, you know, like no <laughs> one is, uh, no, one, like mail, physical mail, like yeah. has taken such a hit other than for digital retailers. I have a, 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 a great aunt and uncle who, you know, will swear by the fact that, um, you know, like the fact that digital media or digital, uh, e-commerce is so big is, is the reason why, there's so many trucks in Manhattan is because no one goes to stores anymore. Yeah. And that's probably pretty accurate. You know, like there, there's lots of ways in, in which technology has disrupted the workforce has disrupted the way we live and how people, you know, earn a living and also, you know, pursue their passions. Um, I think the places that AI should quote unquote, like replace or the places where like people aren't passionate about it. They're passionate about the outcomes or, or, or the ability to do something like yeah. the example I've given a couple of times is like in compositing rotoscoping is this process of like cutting people out of mm -hmm. individual frames. You do that a few frames at a time. If you're, if you're good, you're maybe you have some more advanced techniques around it, but like I look, I'm not going to, diss anyone who is in love with rotoscoping but that's a process where like my guess is that people are passionate about the process of developing the image or yeah or creating an effect right and so if you're able to speed up their ability to do that or make it more accessible to more people that's a win yeah 
Yeah, we talk about nanite, you know, it's like, well, that kind of removes the idea, the the reason for someone to spend a ton of time creating like LODs and all that. So we're yeah. trying to find these opportunities where technology can literally cut down on the technical uh, needs of something. And hopefully that frees up more space for artist, artisticness, if that's a word, creativity. Artistry. Um, artistry, <laughs> yes. And, and curating things rather than having to always feel like you have to create them from scratch. Yeah. Yeah. I think like the curatorial role is going to become more relevant. My honest thought is that, you know, we can be very optimistic about what it is AI should replace, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean it's what it will. You know, there is this kind of other side to technological progress where it doesn't always, you know, when the cat's out of the bag, like you can try to contain it after the fact. But it doesn't mean everything is all going to be as you want it to be. Like, think about where we are with pr data privacy yeah. and, you know, uh, uh, um, surveillance around the technical world. Because we didn't have a lot of controls for data privacy when the Internet first was created. And so all these use cases popped up where we lost some of that. Right. Mm -hmm. Think about, you know, the fact that, like, uh, um, you know, with social media, how kind of uh, uh, how driven that is by forcing consumerism and all these bad traits about our society down your throat, right? Like those things are going to happen, right? With AI ML as well. Like I think people should functionally be prepared for that. Um, I don't think it's good to condone it. I don't <laughs> think you have to lose your moral standing because of it. I don't think you have to like, say you're a bad person because you like AI and you think, and you know, to some extent that there's going to be, you know, downsides to it. It's, it's not that simple. Right. Um, yeah. So we'll just have to see how it goes. Like there's only so much you control here. Cool. Well, we've had a very long discussion about AI tonight. Um, I do want to give a quick shout out to uh, the VRTO event in general. Um, this was organized by um, Karim, who's been running the, the meetup group in Toronto there for a long time. Um, I want to make sure I pronounce Karim's full name correctly. I think it's uh, Maliki Sanchez. Um, and Karim has been very dogged about trying to get me to Toronto for a while. And I appreciated the effort because I was like, I don't think I'm going to have time to go to Toronto in July. And he through his grace and charisma, managed to get me to go up there. And I was very pleasantly surprised by the event. This is something that I was expecting to feel like a typical kind of like large VR tech conference. It actually felt very intimate. Um, there was time to kind of speak to everyone, to have demos, to see almost all the talks. There was very little counter-programming going on. And uh, I also just have to shout out the fact that I was thrilled by how many um, theater people were there. Like if you go to a typical, I don't know, Oculus Connect or um, uh, GDC or AWE, like anyone who's doing virtual reality in theater, they're going to be like the weird geeks who sit in the corner of the cafeteria, like kind of doing their own thing. And um, a lot of those folks were kind of front and center at VRTO, which I really appreciated. So we had people from uh, the Ferryman Collective and the Metamovie Alien Rescue Project. We had um, uh, Mandy, I'm trying to remember Mandy's last name, who's done a lot of incredible stuff um, with teaching VR. We had Ari Tar and Debbie Deer, um, who were our stars of last year's Christmas Carol production. Um, 
yes, it was a, a very, very cool event. And I just want to give a proper shout out to Karim and everyone who made this um, so successful. I was able to bring, because I drove up to uh, past the border, had a very fun conversation with uh, the security guard who was like genuinely curious what the heck this event was I was going to. But I brought like my super beefy RTX 4090 workstation and was able to be like, hey, I, I gave my talk. And then during the talk, I was like, I know I just spoke about like 30 projects, by the way, almost all those projects I have demos for right now. So feel free to come over and check those out. Um, so a lot of people, of course, wanted to see the AI stuff, but we were also showing, you know, some of our older um, architecture work. We were showing our, our uh, VR Rage Room experience, which is something we made years ago, where you just get to light everything on fire and smash things. And it's just kind of a fun physics sandbox. And it was really cool to, to kind of get the feedback of a lot of these uh, students who are young and just kind of coming up in the industry. And then, you know, older people who are really established. I mentioned Bernie Roll, who was uh, our guinea pig on stage when Ari and I gave a live demonstration for everyone. Um, Dr. Tom Furness, who talked about the Virtual World Society. Um, and it, just to kind of give, like, if people are curious to learn more about VRTO, there's already been two really good podcasts kind of covering the run of show. One on No Proscenium, who we also shouted out a lot during our Galactic Star Cruiser episodes. So they have a great interview with Karim. And then also the F Reality podcast. Uh, they have a good report from VRTO as well. So anytime anyone's in Toronto or wants to be in Toronto around July, there's a lot of amazing food and people. Uh, I went to see also the Disney Immersive Experience, which was a uh, an interesting study in projection mapping, but I'd, I'd highly recommend people check it out in the future. Yeah, awesome. I, I I've never I've never been to that conference. Honestly, I I need to start going to some more AR VR conferences. It's it's been a while, but uh, yeah, I mean that sounds exciting. It was great, um, and I have to give a, a a thumbs down to UPS, who I, I learned after the fact was also like having strike issues while this is happening. But um, one of our interns had manufactured a new mocap headset oh, for wow. us to do live link face with, and tried to ship it to me in Canada. It got through customs fine, but UPS could not figure out how to deliver it. Um, so it just kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed. I'll mention the design briefly. So a lot of times when people do a mocap helmet, there's like a big metal arm and then something to like hold the phone out here. And if it's kind of cheaply made, the phone is going to bounce and be very wiggly. Um, our intern had the great idea to actually take the phone and smack it to your head. And then on the arm, you're actually using a mirror. So you actually have, oh. you know, the live link face data coming out here and the mirror is reflecting your face into it. And so it's much more lightweight. It's much more comfortable. And so he built the first prototype for us and Ari and I were going to show it at VRTO. Didn't come in time. Uh, and I still have not seen it, only pictures and, and some cool. of the sketches. But yeah, so we ended up gifting it to, to Karim and the amazing people who made VRTO happy, happen. So I hope they're happy and they get a chance to use it. And I, I'd love for this to be something that we can offer you know, at or near cost in the future. Because I know a lot of people would like to have a mocap helmet that doesn't cost the amount that like a Technoprops helmet from ILM or, or any of the uh, professional grade ones do. Yeah, wow. All right, that's that sounds pretty cool. That's pretty clever. And that reflects like the um the like lidar sensor and everything. Yeah, it reflects the depth camera as well. We did a test of that. So it, it works both with um live link face as well as MetaHuman Animator. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty clever design. And even like Rococo just announced like, oh, they're going to have like a head mount, but everyone still kind of goes with that standard idea of like, we need a helmet yeah. and something heavy and strong that's going to hold the phone out here. So, you know, I, I, I like our alternate approach to this. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's very cool. 
All right. Now, we also need to touch briefly on Unreal 5. Yes. I've got three preview one. Three, yes. Yeah, so one of the things I was showing at VRTO was this little demo that I put together um, back when it was still a source build of 5.3, just to showcase like, hey, we've got instant stereo for Lumen and Nanite. There's a huge performance increase. Doesn't this look great? So I was letting people fly around this big um, demo I'd put together using the Project Hillside um, Habitat 67 photogrammetry scan, uh, tons and tons of Nanite triangles there, as well as a bunch of the Matrix City sample buildings. And I modified both the pistols that come in the VR template, one of which shoots perfectly reflective chrome balls and the other one shoots emissive glowing balls. So you get to see the real-time Lumen GI and the real-time Lumen reflections. And that all looked great. And people were really impressed with that. Um, and then I tried to use this practically in a project and I ran into a pretty significant limitation, which is that something that does not work when you enable instance stereo in 5.3 is, um, in, not instance, um, high quality translucency reflections. So if you have anything like glass, you know, or like a glass table or a glass window, and you want to have good quality reflections in those, they're only going to show up in one eye right now in 5.3. And my God, that like completely puts a stop on all the things I was excited to do with 5.3. So I hope that gets fixed soon. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, so how... Like it, it would is that not completely impractical though in terms of performance the the translucency? No, well that's the thing. It's like the performance is great. The performance is phenomenal, especially you know on a powerful enough um, PC like what I have here. It's comparable to all the work that um, I've been involved with, where we're still over in. 4.27, we're doing baked lighting and yep. real-time ray tracing um, because that's the thing that's giving us the best performance and best quality. But then it's like, yeah, we can't move the lights. We can't use all the amazing things that come with Lumen and Nanite. We can't use all the latest plugins of everything because we're off in this uh, older version of Unreal. When we ask for support, like no one wants to support the older version of Unreal. So I want to get us into 5.3. And um, right now, everything looks fantastic it's performing well everything looks beautiful we're doing you know the sun is moving around and the whole quality of the lighting is changing it's just this problem where the reflections uh in the windows are only visible in one eye or you turn off high quality translucent reflections and they look like crap so yeah. you know it's like well we got to keep using ray traced reflections and until that gets fixed that's annoying well yeah. uh hopefully though that that gets improved and i i'm sure i'm sure uh um I, my understanding is that with with everything, they're trying to get full feature parity. Yeah. Um, it would be very silly for them kind of to exclude stuff like that. Yeah, and my understanding is it's not necessarily considered a, a limitation right now. It is considered a bug. So I hope that means that oh, okay. it's going to get fixed. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. Then, yeah, there's hope. There's hope. I hope so. Yeah. So 5.3 looking good. The preview's out. Everyone should download it and have some fun there. Um, a lot of the stuff that we talked about on the roadmap a few episodes ago is is there in some form. Um, this I started to play with the skeletal mesh editor. That is super cool. Saves oh, yeah. a ton of time. Um, I might never have to go to back to 3ds Max again, which you know I'm at the point where I I wouldn't mind that so much. Even yeah. though like I should be getting back into my Autodesk game since I do think I will be at Autodesk University in November. So we'll see if I remember how to do anything with Autodesk products by then. <laughs> well, uh, you know, Epic's trying their darndest to to make you forget it, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'm very excited for 
Epic's announcements at Sigra. And there's a good yes. Segue. What are you what are you excited for there? What do you think is well, gonna happen? Uh as I said, you know, Epic is gonna have this awesome, they're gonna have a, a presentation, a keynote at SIGGRAPH. Yeah. It's gonna be focused around the ME stuff that they've been working on. My guess is is that there'll be some showcase on Path Tracer, that there'll be some showcase on you know MetaHuman. I'm personally not expecting them to release any features, mm -hmm. anything new. Um, just given where we are in the release cycle, like where we have 5.3, they're not going to announce 5.4. That would, would make <laughs> sense. Um, but uh, I'm excited for it. It's always cool to, to hear from Epic. I'm excited for a lot of other stuff, though. Um, obviously, this entire conference is somewhat, you know, uh, I'm tangled up in, in everyone's thoughts and feelings around the strike. Um, that said, there are other industries, uh, of course, that go to SIGGRAPH gaming and, um, you know, uh, uh, all sorts of, of different industries. It's really around graphics. It's not specific to VFX. Um, but I'm very excited. Um, the, 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 the company I work for, we're going to have a big presence there. I'm, I'm very excited for that. going to have a party, going to have a good time. It's in LA. Um, overall, I, I am curious. I'm very curious to see what presence AI ML co companies have, mm -hmm. whether or not they really have an investment in this industry or they are kind of uh, um, trying to chase a technical goal. Uh, I'm also very, uh, I'm very much looking forward to Jensen's keynote. Mm, always. Uh, he, he's doing a keynote in person uh, at the start of the conference, which will be very cool. There hasn't been, um, usually, uh, NVIDIA would talk at GTC, which is their own conference, and they would talk at, you know, an event like, uh, I don't know, they used to do stuff like E3 or, you know, for, for the, the consumer GPUs and stuff like that. Now GTC is twice a year, and they're also doing presentations at, you know, cigarette. Uh, it's pretty cool. So there's a lot going on, um, and I'm excited for that. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm very excited <laughs> to get some updates, though, when I get back. Yeah, I, I've had fun just looking at people's posts about what's coming at SIGGRAPH. Um, a lot of my VR theater friends will have panels and presentations. Um, actually, Ari Tar uh, might be showing some of our AI stuff. Uh, I'm not even sure if it's going to be formally or informally, but I, I hear there might be something going on there. I also am embarrassed that I'm literally just realizing this moment that this is the 50th anniversary of SIGGRAPH, oh, uh, wow. which I did not know. That's a pretty big deal. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I didn't know that either. Yeah, um, that's cool. And uh, Paul DeBevic, who's been a, a staple of SIGGRAPH um, for many years, he's going to be doing a really cool uh, retrospective with Pixar. Um, he's going to be presenting some, some new work. A uh, couple quick things I want to mention about Paul. One, there's an excellent episode of Corridor Crew with him where they do like a retrospective oh, yeah. of his work, a lot of the SIGGRAPH papers and how they uh, became super influential in, influential in um, film and movies and games and all that kind of stuff. Um, by the way, John Gaeta, who I believe Paul worked with on The Matrix, uh, is one of the co-founders of InWorld AI. So funny to see how all this stuff cross-pollinates. And I also have to thank Paul a little bit for the Four Seasons project that I've been alluding to in Austin for some time. He was one of the people who uh, put my name forward as someone that uh, our client over there should be speaking to. And we did actually recently get Paul to 
the um, the space in Austin to get his experience of the the Four Seasons Lake Austin experience. Um, and I also <laughs> may as well mention now because it's become public. I alluded a couple weeks ago that we had like a very special guest coming to Austin. I was like, oh, you probably know who he is. Um, now it's been posted publicly. So I can say that was John Carmack. And it was amazing and super cool to have time with John Carmack to see an Unreal Engine VR experience that we'd made. And now he has tweeted about it because he's actually helping us um, gather people to uh, take this incredibly photorealistic Unreal Engine VR project to the next level where we want to do something with multi-GPUs. So this will mean instead of just rendering one uh, RTX 4090 per person, maybe two, maybe four. And um, Carmack was kind enough to basically do a call out to his million followers of like, hey, who wants to play with like multi-GPU and Unreal Engine? Which was very funny to see the responses because I think a lot of people are assuming that Carmack himself is now working in Unreal Engine, which is not true, but he has been a, a really kind supporter and advocate for the project. Yeah, amazing. I, I mean, obviously, so Alex did tell me a little bit about this, when yeah. not on, on on the podcast, of course, and I was very excited to hear uh, about um, uh, what what had had gone on. Um, but uh, my hope is that someone figures this out. It'd be very cool to get multi-GPU. Um, do you remember the old Unreal Engine demo for um, who's it, Captain Thasma or something, where they did they were demonstrating there was like, the RTX demo, yeah, yeah. So they had like some giant stack of GPUs to render like all the real time ray tracing reflections in that uh, well, Chrome Stormtrooper outfit. That looked well, amazing. <laughs> that was so. That was a demo. You could run that though on a single GPU. Oh, really? I thought it required like all the GPUs to do that. No, I, I don't know if it was able to leverage multiple GPUs because my assumption was that it was running on NVIDIA's own branch. Mm. NVIDIA might have figured it out. I had, Just for, for some historic context, like generally speaking, the biggest issue with multi-GPU is how you sync up the frame buffers and how you deliver that to the display because you have this very messy problem where either you interleave it, which ends up on lots of tearing, or you do where it's like one GPU renders one side of the screen, one GPU renders the other side of the screen, and then you have this general issue where it's like, okay, well, if one GPU takes slightly longer to render it, then, you know, because it's like overheating and so it throttles down, then all of a sudden you have the frames getting delivered multiple at different times and you got to buffer it. And then, yeah, you know, there's like lots of potential issues that can generally come up with multi GPU. I actually do think it's more interesting with VR where you are potentially rendering two separate passes like two gpus for vr makes a lot of sense to me and you know you render one, one frame per eye yes that could still lead to similar issues where it's like well if one eye updates another one that's probably going to make you very nauseous mm -hmm. um, but in the least it it does mean that like you have two separate uh, uh render passes that you can kind of concern yourself with so I, I'm I'm very excited to see if that works out. I'd love to, that's you know, someday to check out this demo. Yeah, and years ago, NVIDIA had something called uh, VRWorks, which was like an SDK that worked with um, Unreal. I think it used SLI, and it was yep. all about like trying to get you know more bang for your buck with multiple multiple GPUs. Um, but I don't think NVIDIA kept up with it, and it probably doesn't work past like Unreal four dot seventeen. Well, or SLI like is dead. Yeah, SLI that's true. SLI no longer good. exists. Yeah. 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 And NVLink is essentially going away as well. Right. Which was, what was the difference between NVLink and SLI? Just different branding or? <laughs> no. So SLI, you had 
you had the physical bridge and that bridge was for synchronizing the clocks uh, between the two GPUs. So the idea was that in order to prevent active tearing between the frame buffers, you would create this bridge that would synchronize the, the clocks and memory between the two GPUs. Um, and VLink is very explicitly just about memory sharing between two GPUs. So if you have a system with NVLink, it shows up in the system as two separate GPUs, but they both have the full pool of memory between the two. And you see that a lot in like AI ML applications where you have large models that you have to loan to GPU memory. It's less common in like VFX and media entertainment use cases, just because generally speaking, there aren't as many applications that can utilize that amount of GPU memory. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's not designed to do any synchronization stuff. All the stuff that, for example, happens with like end display mm -hmm. and you know, having multiple, you know, render rendered displays and synchronizing all that stuff. You know, NVIDIA has a separate little synchronization header on some GPUs. They're actually, I think, getting rid of that too. Like they're very inconsistent about this. But if you look at like some of the data center or workstation cards from the um, Ampere generation, they'll have these little like, what look like little sockets on the edge. Mm -hmm. And that is for synchronizing the clocks gotcha. um, for end display. So you can buy a physical PCI device to throw on your machine that hooks up into all the D GPUs to synchronize. Um, I'm not even sure if it's fully synchronizing the clocks or it's just, um, synchronizing between like uh, um, the frame delivery or, or some other mechanism, but that's, that's what that's for. Super cool. I, I had no idea you were going to be able to break that down in such detail. Thank you. <laughs> uh, it's, it's my job, man. It's my <laughs> yeah. job. That's great. Um, cool. Anything else you want to mention for now, Jacob? No, I I'm excited for, for SIGGRAPH. I'm excited to play more with 5.3. I mean, I, I'm hoping that, um, you know, we we continue to see some more there. There's, obviously, there'll be the full release notes at some point, which I'm sure we'll want to go over because I'm sure there's lots of features hiding in there. Um, but man, it's it's been a good week. Yeah. I, I'm ex I'm I'm excited for everyone's feedback on on our previous couple episodes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, I bet a lot of the feedback will be like too long, bros, too long. Yeah, too <laughs> be long. Like, yeah, like, why are you okay. ranting about this? I don't know. I thought yeah. it was fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, I, I just realized that I'm actually on the SIGGRAPH schedule, and this is kind of my fault, but um, I am supposed to be hosting a Birds of a Feather session um, on Sunday, July 6th, or August 6th, uh, from 1 to 2.30 Pacific time. Um, this is something that I, I was not the main organizer of this, but I did say, yes, I'd be happy to be part of this. So anyone who wants to see some really cool VR theater people, um, Stephen Bochco from Ferryman Collective, Yosin Chang, uh, Joe Gagel, um, uh, Bernie Roll, who I already mentioned, uh, Michaela, um, I never pronounced their last name correctly, Ledgewidge, I think. Uh, that's going to be a really cool session for people to just get together and, and you know, nerd out about all the VR theater stuff that I just mentioned. The title is actually called XR and Live Theater, again, 1 to 2.30. Um, so say hi to all my friends there and let, let us know if you end up attending that or SIGGRAPH at all. Like, let us know what you think of SIGGRAPH. Yeah. Say hi to Jacob if you see him yeah. there. <laughs> say hi. Say hi. <laughs> all right. Well, Great. I think that just about wraps things up, right, Alex? Yeah. And next episode, I'll look forward to your thorough recap. I want reportage. Reportage, right. Jacob. I'll take notes. I'll take notes. <laughs> all right. Well, if you made it to this point in the podcast, 
make sure you like subscribe comment rate all those things wherever you're watching listening absorbing <laughs> observing I don't know. brain implanting yeah it could be any of these make sure you do that and we'll catch you on the next episode thanks everyone goodbye